0: Hello everyone, J.B. Hickson with Not By Works Ministries, and uh, today we come to the final episode in this series on Spirit of the Antichrist, part 18. It has been quite a journey as we have kind of walked through the biblical teaching on the Antichrist and on the Spirit of the Antichrist, which the Bible says is already at play today. We've talked about this verse many times in 1 John chapter 4 Verse 3, we know that one Antichrist is coming, the future world leader that will take control uh, of the world for seven years just prior to the second coming of Christ. Uh, But the Bible tells us very plainly that his spirit is already in the world. And uh, as such, we are dealing with this gathering cloud of deception. And so we've looked at a number of uh, characteristics of the Antichrist that then manifest themselves uh, in our present day. And uh, today we come to part 18 in this series, and we're going to close out by looking at the spirit of pluralism, uh, the coming one-world religion. Uh, Again, uh, the Bible is quite clear in 1 John that many Antichrists have come, but uh, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. We don't have to wait until after the rapture, when the Antichrist signs the peace treaty with Israel in Daniel 9, 27, establishing the the start of the final seven-year period, to witness some of the great deception that will reach even greater heights during that future tribulation period. It's already here. Indeed, the Bible says that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to this deception, the deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, In the last days, perilous times will come, uh, the Bible tells us. So we've been taking a look at several characteristics of the Antichrist. We've looked at pretense, phenomena, pride, power, persecution, Last time we looked at perversion, and we finally come to number seven on that list, and that is the spirit of pluralism. And if you've not been able to watch the previous videos in this series over the last several months, let me encourage you to check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com notbyworks, and uh, go ahead and subscribe, and you'll be alerted uh, uh, to future videos that we uh, produce along these lines. Um, but they're all there when we spent a great deal of time going through each one of those characteristics. And the premise of the series is, as I said, that since these are characteristics of the future Antichrist, and since his spirit's already at work today, we uh, are going to see an uptick in some of these uh, characteristics, some of these um, uh, activities. And so uh, pluralism is the final one that we want to look at. And certainly we know from Scripture that the Antichrist will usher in a one-world religion, uh, which is what pluralism uh, really is. It's a, the bringing together under one faith group, if you will, all religions of the world. If you want a technical definition of pluralism, it would be this, a philosophical perspective that demands diversity and difference over unity and sameness. And key to the principle of pluralism is the belief that any absolute view is wrong. I've talked about this at length in some of our other uh, videos uh, over the years, uh, going back to uh, some of the um, classes that I've taught in different academic institutions on postmodernism. But pluralism really is a key core component of the Antichrist's future reign, and it's therefore not surprising that we are seeing in recent years more and more talk of uh, moral relativism and the fact that no one religion can claim to be the true religion. We've all got to come uh, together. So another way of saying that any absolute view is necessarily wrong is to basically say that all views are right because there are no absolutes. So pluralism is often pictured as just different uh, groups of uh, people thinking in a different subject, so whether it's religion or sexual preference or doesn't matter the topic, but no matter what your views are on that, you all have to come together as one big happy family. So that if you consider it like, a, say, a jigsaw puzzle, you're all different. You have different views, but when you come together, it's really one view, one complete uh, uniformity, uh, you know, complete uh, consistent view. So this is how they tell you pluralism Looks if you want to illustrate it this way, it's each one of those uh, Oval shapes there with the different colors represents a different viewpoint if this was a religious Pluralism that we were talking about we would uh, Consider each one of those to be things like Christianity Judaism Hinduism Buddhism Roman Catholicism Islam you name it Uh, And we all have to come together. We all have to sort of accept one another You can't criticize one another however in reality what happens is when you add one of those com- one of those little circles as biblical Christianity or a biblical worldview, the belief that the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, then you really expose the hypocrisy of pluralism because all the other groups unite instantly <laughs> against a biblical worldview because they insist that absolutism in culture is absolutely not allowed. So you see the the hypocrisy. There, even in that uh, statement. And yet, pluralism gain is gaining great strides during this great last day's deception. And I believe that's setting the stage for the future one-world government, in which all religions and people f- that are belong to all religions are going to be deceived into following the Antichrist. So we've talked a lot over the last uh, many weeks in this series about one-world government, uh, one-world wor- authority, one-world monetary system, Um, you know, literally a one-world system. Uh, But what we're talking about this time is a religious component, uh, a one-world religion. And we've seen shades of that through the years with things like the World Council of Churches uh, and other uh, National Council of Churches and things like that where they've tried to get groups to come together. Over the years, in my 32 plus years of ministry, both in an academic setting and in a nonprofit setting with Not By Works Ministries and also in pastoral ministry, I've had the occasion, uh, to sit in on a number of ministerial alliances. What's a ministerial alliance? Well, it's a typically a local group in your town or community of all the different church pastors and church leaders who come together uh, regularly, typically once a month, to just talk about how they can make the community a better place and tackle problems in the community. And I have resisted those really from the earliest days of my ministry, even really before I had researched a lot of what we've been talking about in Uh, this series Uh, but I knew enough to know that if you believe the Bible uh, that you cannot have fellowship with other groups that are emphatically opposed to the Bible so most recently I went to a ministerial alliance group uh, just for kicks to kind of see what it was about and see who was there. And I was new to a certain region of the mountains and thought, well, I want to introduce myself. And so I'm sitting next to, you know, a homosexual female priest on one side and, you know, other different people from all kinds of different walks of life, Buddhism, Hinduism, Roman Catholicism, Islam. And, you know, I tolerated the meeting just mostly for my own research, if nothing else, uh, but uh, quickly decided, you know, uh, as I expected, this is not something that is going to honor the Lord. The Lord does not like it when we compromise and fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And so these other religions that are prevalent in this particular community that I was in at the time are diabolically opposed to the God of the Bible. They think the God of the Bible is an imposter, that he's wrong, that their religion is the one true way to heaven. And uh, so why in the world would I want to fellowship with them? That's why uh, Paul said, come out from among them and uh, be ye separate. Um, so if we want to uh, kind of look at how pluralism plays into individual faith, and, the, and our individual relationship with our Creator, uh, there are basically four uh, broad views about, uh, uh, or five maybe, about how uh, this all comes uh, together. You've got pluralism, inclusivism, universalism, and then, of course, uh, exclusivism. So um, the problem is mankind is sinful, and just about every religion uh, seeks to find a way to get man in his fallen state Uh, to uh, some type of positive afterlife. The Bible calls it heaven, among other uh, labels for it. Other religions might call it paradise or utopia or nirvana or whatever it is. But that's the real question. How do we get from A to B? How do we get from our sinful fallen state, which I think every religion recognizes man has a problem. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and, and see that. And uh, how do we get there? Well, religious pluralism says, well, yeah, we agree man has a problem, and pretty much anything goes to get you to heaven. That might be personal faith. It might be your own good works or merit. It might be different religions like Islam, Judaism, or Christianity. Or, by the way, it might be any combination of the above. And if you just simply are devout enough, they would say, a religious pluralist would say, your pathway will get you there. you just got to pick a pathway. And that is really quintessential religious pluralism. Of course, as we are going to see, the Bible uh, expressly uh, contradicts that, and uh, it is a lie from the pit of hell, and so uh, that's not how the Bible says we can solve our sin problem. But equally disturbing within Christianity is what's called evangelical inclusivism, and it's equally wrong, but it takes a slightly different approach. It, too, begins with sinful man, but it acknowledges that Christ died and rose uh, from the dead, So it accepts the cross as part of the equation. But then it says uh, a person can individually have faith in anything, really, to get them to heaven. So in other words, faith in Jesus Christ alone is not the only way to get to heaven. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection paid the penalty and accomplishes salvation for everyone, but you may not have even ever heard the name Jesus, as long as you have faith in Allah or Muhammad or Buddha or whoever your chosen uh, person, uh, salvation figure is, will get you there. So really, other than the fact that it acknowledges there was a person named Jesus who died and rose again, evangelical inclusivism is just religious pluralism uh, in disguise. Uh, and then the so we reject this as well because the Bible rejects it. And then you know the the next uh, uh, solution, if you want to call it that or proposed solution is simply secular universalism. and it never acknowledges that man has a problem, so it just assumes everyone goes to heaven. If you don't have a problem, then you don't have anything to worry about. So when you live in a universalist mindset, you think there are no bad people, right? Just different levels of good. And so obviously the Bible, very plainly rejects that. Uh, What the Bible does teach and what we believe at Not By Works and what we should believe as Bible-believing Christians is that mankind is a sinner sold under the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God and a literal place of torment called hell. That's not my words. That's Jesus' words, for example, when he talks about the everlasting fire. Um, And the only solution to man's sin problem is faith alone in Christ alone specifically. Not faith plus works or faith plus something else or baptism or church membership or, you know, good intentions, but faith alone in Christ alone. Biblical Christianity is not just one option among many as if eternal life were gained through some buffet line of religions. It is the sole and only means of solving man's problems. So Christ died for our sins took our sins upon him, he the only perfect man, the God-man, came to earth, lived a perfect holy sinless life, and died for our sins to pay that penalty. And then if we will simply receive his gift purchased with his own blood of forgiveness, we can have that forgiveness imputed to us. We can then be born again. Um, But how do we receive that gift? By faith. You don't receive it by your own works or merit or pledges or promises or commitments or surrender or any other type of you know, quid pro quo as if eternal salvation was gained in a bilateral contract of some sort. It's not a bilateral contract. It's a unilateral gift. But like all gifts, it has to be received. And we receive that gift by faith more than 160 times. The New Testament plainly says the only way to heaven is by faith alone in Christ alone. And yet, uh, because of the influence... Uh, of Satan, who's blinding men's hearts to the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4.4, we see more and more people departing uh, from the faith. We've looked at this verse a lot, but notice how there will be a growing departure from the faith as a result of demonic deception. More and more people are leaving the historic roots of Christianity that say the Bible is the only self-revelation of God to man. It is the only guide and truth uh, statement. It's the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And they're shifting into this pluralistic mindset that says, you know, to each his own, you say tomato, I say uh, tomato. I get into this. Somewhat in my uh, brand new book, Uh, Top Ten Reasons Some People Go to Hell and the One Reason No One Has to, uh, and I have a chapter in there called You Say Tomato, I Say Tomato, and it talks about how uh, people have embraced this universalist, or rather this pluralist mindset into thinking that uh, there are multiple ways to heaven. But again, this is predicted. Uh, God's Word reminds us that the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, being turned aside to fables. What you need to understand is that if you or someone you know is following, say, Hinduism, Buddhism, Roman Catholicism, Islam, any of these other false religions, you're believing a fable. Again, not my words. That's the Bible's words. You can't pick and choose which parts of the Bible uh, to believe. The whole of the Bible is truth. Uh, what we see happening today, again, setting the stage for this one-world religion, it's really hard to fathom today, especially when there's so much religious division, especially in you know other parts of the world. Say the Middle East, where there's factions of Islam killing each other, and and of course you know other parts of the world, it's other religions. It's really hard to fathom that indeed someday all peoples of Earth will come together under one religious leader. And uh, his name is the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition. Jesus predicted that he's going to set himself up as God halfway through the tribulation. So three and a half years into the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to say, I'm God, he'll take the throne. He says, you must worship me or be beheaded. Uh, What we see happening today is setting the stage for that type of um, climactic deception. Uh, that will reach unprecedented heights. It's very similar to what we saw in uh, the Old Testament in the book of Judges. The book of Judges records about 300 years or so of Israel's history, roughly speaking, from the death of Joshua in 1366 B.C. all the way till the death of Samson in 1084 B.C. And this is the very last verse in the book of Judges, Judges 21, verse 25. And it summarizes the whole period of the Judges forms a a fitting, concluding statement that explains why life in Israel was so corrupt and immoral and in decline during this time. What came after the period of Judges is the period of the kings. Um, And they didn't fare much better during that time. Um, But it all began with individuals ignoring the law of God, doing what was right in their own eyes. And it led a whole nation into moral collapse. (laughs) And yet history uh, so often repeats itself. You know the Bible gives us the timeless truth that where there is no revelation, the people will cast off restraint. Well, what does that mean? What is revelation? Revelation is the authoritative declaration of God. The revelation that we have today is God's word. That is the totality of God's revelation. It's His self-unveiling. The word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. It's where we get the word apocalypse. It's the book last. It's the name of the last book of the Bible, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way. The last book of the Bible is not Revelations, plural, though you frequently see it that way by biblical neophytes and people that really have no business teaching the Bible. Um, But it's the book of the Revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. But in a generic sense, the word apocalypsis or Revelation just means unveiling, self-declaration. And so God unveiled himself, if you will, in his word. The Bible is God's way of saying, here I am, look at me. And what this principle in Proverbs 20:19 is saying is that where you don't have a standard, where you don't have the word of God, the prophetic utterance of the word of God, which is now contained in the Bible, uh, then there's going to be no restraint. By contrast, of course, blessed or happy are those who keep the law. So the Bible is always the first thing to go in a pluralist culture. <laughs> um... You know, I've been involved in different ministries and different churches, either officially and directly involved or just in working with them for various ministry initiatives. And I can't tell you the number of times I've seen uh, this principle played out. Uh, I came from a church up in the mountains where they had an utter disdain. Most people, not all of them, but most of them, those in leadership, an utter disdain for the Bible. They didn't want to hear Bible teaching. They wanted the church to be more like a social club. And whenever I would say things like, the Bible is clear, uh, they would really, uh, I would hear about it. They would say, the Bible's not clear. What are you talking about? There's all kinds of disagreement about the Bible. People don't know what the Bible says. Why do you keep saying the Bible is clear? And, you know, we wanted to put out gospel tracts. And we did, you know, because I wasn't uh, going to uh, uh, kowtow to those uh, pluralists in the group. Uh, but uh, they, they didn't they didn't like that. They didn't like gospel tracts. Even just setting out on a table telling people this is the only way to heaven because in their mind, you could get to heaven any number of ways, by a dream or by through some sincere devotion to some other religion. I proposed often in this remote section of the mountains doing evangelistic events, hosting concerts or retreats or anything that we could to gather people together and present the gospel, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, as Paul said, for it's the power of God to salvation. And it is indeed our great uh, commission. Uh, that's the reason we're here, is to spread the good news. And yet, uh, people from that mindset, and what I ran into up in that particular setting uh, for a few years, was those that did not want to do that at all. Don't bother me with the Bible. But the Bible is the Word of God. And sadly, it is got, it has to be under attack if the stage is going to be set for a global religion, a worldwide religion. And so that's why we see uh, so much heresy uh, rising to the fore today. Even in otherwise Christian churches, we see sound doctrine going out the window. And yet, the Bible itself, within its own pages, claims to be the authoritative Word of God. More than 3,800 times the Bible declares, thus says the Lord. So it is the infallible and errant. Word of God, the Bible is the filter and the only filter for all truth claims. <laughs> so in other words, everything else we come across in life, whether it's from science or nature, reason, philosophy, television, even religion, traditions, experience, everything we encounter in life has to be run through the grid of God's Word. And if God's Word validates it, then fine, it become, sort of becomes part of our interrelated worldview. But if God's Word contradicts it, if it's not validated by God's Word, then it must be rejected. Because the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. Now, unfortunately, when you don't believe that, if there is no standard that sort of holds all things together, if there's no ultimate right or wrong, good or bad, if there's nothing that you can use to validate truth claims... Uh, then what you're left with is this massive explosion. And, uh, you know, everything is unsettling. There's no, there's no stability at all. There's no uh, common thread that sort of holds you together. You're all just, like the book of Judges said, left to your own devices and doing what's right in your own eyes. When there's no standard, the result is total chaos. And, of course, what does Satan want? He is the god of Chaos. Uh, and the, the Luciferian elite, Satan and all of his co-conspirators, as we've talked a lot about over the last 18 sessions now, are trying to destroy this world so they can rebuild it. It's the principle of order out of chaos. Order out of chaos. And that's what they want. Particularly in the United States of America, as we've uh, talked about, we are living uh, in really the worst times in American history right now in terms of, glo- in terms of government overreach and tyranny. And I fear that it's only going to get worse, as we've talked about uh, quite a bit. But, you know, the Bible tells us to go from the presence of a foolish man when you don't perceive the lips of knowledge in him. It's impossible to be part of the crowd, to fit in, to be well-liked, to be popular, and hold the Bible in high regard at the same time. By definition, the Bible is exclusive. The Bible claims there is one God, and you're to have no other gods before me. The Bible claims that there is one God who created the world and spoke everything into existence. There's only one eternal God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, eternally existing as one God. And yet, that's pretty exclusive. You can't get more exclusive than one. Uh, A club of one is pretty exclusive. And, uh, and yet people all the time are trying to draw circles of inclusion, which is the pluralist credo, instead of lines of distinction, as the Bible plainly does. We saw that in last week's uh, message on uh, perversion as it relates to sexual immorality and so forth. Uh, Paul put it this way in Ephesians 5, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It's a fundamental goal of pluralism, to eliminate any and all standards. That is Satan's goal. Um, He he did that right from the beginning in the garden when he attacked God's standard. Remember, God in his great love told Adam and Eve, whom he had created in his image at his highest pinnacle of creation, the crown jewel, if you will. He loved them so much, he said, watch out, there's one tree that'll kill you and I don't want you to die. And so he created that standard. He said, if you do eat from it, you will die. And he did so out of love. And yet, what did we do? We walked over and took a great big uh, bite. And Satan came to Eve and, and basically tempted her to do that by saying, Look, God, there are no standards. You don't have to trust God. You can do what you want. God's just worried you're going to be like him. And we've talked about that when we looked at the anatomy of decept- deception very early on in this series. Uh, the reason truth matters and you know, doctrine matters is because Satan is a liar and has been a liar from the beginning. Jesus said when he speaks, everything he speaks is a lie. That's the reason John said, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring sound doctrine, don't receive him into your house or even greet him. And yet pluralism says, let's, let's hug and embrace and work together and, and, and agree with each other and agree to disagree, which I've mentioned before, I really don't like that phrase. I think we need people willing to disagree to agree. <laughs> There's too much agreement going on right now, too much compromise from the word of God. James put it this way, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Uh, you want to be a friend of the world, fine, but you're going to be an enemy of God. Because God says you got to take a stand. God says you shall worship me and me only. Never before in human history have so many people, or sheeple as I like to call them, dutifully gotten in line and followed utterly absurd government mandates that have no basis in truth. Uh, I've talked about this a lot But, you know, the the, the whole mask phenomena is a case study in idiocy. I mean, I don't mean to offend. I know good people disagree. But if you would just take the time to look at the studies, you would see that I'm right. This is not a matter open to debate. Top peer-reviewed journal articles. I I can send you, if you email me, I'll be happy to send you um, at least two documents and several links. One of them has 14 pages. One of them has eight pages of peer-reviewed studies as recently as a month ago, going back decades in the study of virology and science, it is commonly known and accepted by all parties that masks are not safe. They are dangerous. They cause hy- hypercapnia or hypoxia and all kinds of other problems. God did not design us to cover our mouths. These are the way we're supposed to ex- exhale CO2. And it'd be like wearing a mask, would be like putting a, a hose up to your muffler and putting it through the window of your car. And the reason so many people are getting sick now is because they're wearing masks. Indeed, how how perfect is it of Satan, who masquerades as an angel of light, to take the very thing that he claims will save us and actually have it be killing us? Uh, Again, I know uh, I'm probably hearing a lot of people shouting at their computer screens right now because their doctor or their friend or their nurse or somebody said such and such. Look, here's what what would happen if we sat on across from each other and compared medical studies. You you would go first, I would let you go first, and you could produce a medical study that has only come up in the last six or eight months, claiming uh, that new science has determined that wearing masks is safe. Then I'll go. I'll produce a study. Then you'll go again. And then I'll go. And we'll trade studies, and at the end of the time, here's what would happen. Number one, you will run out of studies long before I do. I could go on for days because it's just common knowledge in the scientific literature and secondly, all of your studies would be since the beginning of the control of virus scandemic. Mine are going to be going all the way back to before and after. Even the likes of Anthony Fauci and our Surgeon General were on record in the early days of the scandemic uh, before it became a big deal in America as saying, whatever you do, don't wear masks. They're dangerous. That you know, We don't need them. And so, yes, I understand that in certain settings, like in a surgery where you're opening up someone's body and exposing their vital organs, that it's it's good for surgeons to wear masks because they don't want under, you know, worst case scenario to accidentally sneeze or something, and then it goes right into the bloodstream. That can be dangerous. And yeah, if you're sneezing and snotting and you have a cold, uh, you should sneeze into your elbow because you don't want to blow droplets on somebody else. That Those are germs. They get people sick. So I suppose if you are sneezing and snotting and have to be among people, you might want to wear a a mask. But if you're healthy and asymptomatic, don't wear a mask. It will kill you. And yet I run into people all the time that say, oh, it's the loving thing to do. Listen, God is love, and it can never be loving to believe and promote a lie. Let me say that again. Don't claim, oh, it's a loving thing to do to promote and perpetuate a lie. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask, but don't blame that on God. And when I I walk out and it's it's almost surreal and I see people everywhere wearing masks, I'm reminded of this picture that I've shown previously in here of uh, Germans hailing Hitler, hailing Hitler here. And you notice right here in the middle, this one guy that's standing alone. We need more guys like that. We really do. The spirit of Pluralism. It's time for Christians to stop compromising truth under the pretense of love or kindness or not wanting to offend. Sometimes the truth offends. It's that simple. Those people today who prioritize friendships and reputation higher than truth will be the first ones to line up behind the Antichrist's great last day's deception. They'll be sitting ducks. Today is the day. Now is the time to decide whether you're going to stand for truth or be like a straw in the wind, obeying and believing everything the government and the NIH and the CDC and Fox News and Anthony Fauci and everyone else tells you. Jesus himself said, sanctify them in his high priestly prayer here in John 17. Sanctify them, God, by your truth, for your word is truth. You want to know what truth is? Look to the word of God. The psalmist put it this way, for the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth. In truth. Psalm 119 says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law, your word, is truth. Or, You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. (laughs) Proverbs reminds us that we can know the certainty of the words of truth. Jesus himself said, You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And what is the truth? Jesus said, I am the truth, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's exclusivism, not pluralism. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the amazing thing is it's free. It's a free gift. It's not like Jesus is asking you to jump through a bunch of hoops or measure up or you know, self-sacrifice or some other way like so many other religions do. He's just saying, look, I paid the price. I shed my own blood, and I'm offering it to you freely. But you got to receive it from me. You can't seek forgiveness of sins through some other uh, religion. Uh, Time asked the question, I I mentioned this last week, uh, in their April 3rd, 2017 cover uh, article, Is Truth Dead? Well, it sure makes you wonder when you see so many people buying into such blatant, obvious lies. So how will the future Antichrist use the spirit of pluralism to dominate the world during the future tribulation period? Well, we could go back to Daniel 11. We looked at this last week as well, where we read, The king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. Remember, he is the lawless one, is what the Apostle Paul called him in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Going back to Daniel 11, the very next verse, and I'm reading here from the NASB. We talked about this last week, how the New King James capitalizes the word gods there, the first word in the second line that you see on the screen there. It makes it singular and capitalizes. It's the Hebrew word Elohim, which can mean either a reference to God, Yahweh, the one true God, or it can also mean multiple gods, plural, with a little g, depending on the context. And here, every other English translation correctly translates it, Gods, the Antichrist, it's talking about here when he comes will have no regard for the gods plural of his fathers. In other words, he's not going to follow any one god. Uh, he's going to embrace all gods at first, and and then ultimately at the midpoint of the tribulation, as we talked about, he's going to claim himself to be God and demand that everyone worship him. He's not going to show regard for any other god. So it doesn't matter whether that's you know Allah or. God, the Creator God, of Yahweh, the One True God, or uh, any other false god that's out there—if uh, you uh, are alive during the tribulation period, He's going to say all of them uh, take a second seat to Him, and uh, and you must worship Me. Going to Revelation, Revelation talks about blasphemies. The Antichrist is going to speak great things in blasphemies. Um, notice that it's plural. That is, he's going to offend followers of all religions because of his pluralistic worldview. Today, a pluralist embraces all religions. Can't we all just get along, they say? But during Antichrist's reign of terror, he's going to embrace them at first to get them to follow him, but then he will eventually reject them all. Remember, he'll have no regard for the gods of his fathers. Ultimately, he will set his blasphemous tongue on the one true God. Notice what it says. After 42 months, after the midpoint, then he's going to open his mouth and blaspheme against the creator God. Yahweh, the one true God, to blaspheme uh, his name. Remember, Jesus warned the future nation of Israel about this during the Olivet Discourse when he said, you want to know when we're getting close to my return to establish the kingdom? Well, here are the kinds of things you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of deception. Take heed that no one deceives you. He said, many are going to come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and are going to deceive many. Notice, many will come. Again, this notion of pluralism. Everyone's not necessarily claiming to be, quote, the Christ, and I think there will be actually many false Christs during that tribulation period, but also many are going to come today not necessarily claiming to be Christ, but but claiming to be the one way to heaven. Well, Jesus said, I am the way. So if they're claiming to be the way to heaven in contrast to what Jesus said, and Jesus said he was the way, then essentially they're claiming to be Christ. They're saying, don't believe Christ, believe me. I'm the only way. To heaven, So there will be many that do that. Uh, many false prophets will arise, he says. And then again, in, in later on in that same chapter, he says the false Christ and false prophets will rise. Uh, so many religions need to be deceived and brought into the Antichrist's fold according to biblical uh, prophecy. And this is the spirit of pluralism. And do we see an uptick in that spirit today? Absolutely. We could look at magazine articles like Newsweek, the decline and fall of Christian America. I mean, look at that cover on the left there. I mean, that's just sickening. uh, In the shape of a cross and talking about the decline emphasized there and fall of Christian America. Or Time magazine had an article, what if there's no hell? (laughs) And we see that happening. Many churches today are beginning to promote an annihilationist or universalist, as we talked about earlier, approach that says there is no consequence for sin in eternity. Uh, and, and this is the problem. Many Christians naively buy these books or listen to these TV preachers and jump on board. And at first apostasy only appears to be a lane change. But there is a way, Proverbs 14 says, that seems right to a man, but it, it leads to destruction and so when, you know, groups like Christianity Today, which I do not recommend, um, you know, have articles about how you can be Muslim and still be a true worshiper of Jesus or other church buildings that where churches have died and, and sold their building and are now taken over by Chrislamic uh, organizations or, you know, popular evangelicals like Rob Bell, um, who, who talks about there's no hell. That love wins. Or Leonard Sweet, who I've had the chance to interact with in his heretical book, The Gospel According to Starbucks. Again, you know, showing an utter disdain for the exclusivity of Scripture. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, more than 160 times the Bible tells us in the New Testament that the only way we can be forgiven for our sins, have the free gift of eternal life, be placed positionally in Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, adopted into the family of God, and guaranteed of our home in heaven, is to place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for our sins. We absolutely see an uptick in pluralistic meetings. Uh, Here's a little-known meeting that took place back on April 7, 2017. It's actually a uh, part of a group called the K-I- K-A-I-C-I-I-D. It stands for King Abdullah bin Abdulaziz International Center for Interreligious and Intercultural Dialogue. I guess when you start embracing every religion, you've got to have a pretty long name. <laughs> uh, but let me say that again. It's the King Abdullah bin Abdulaziz International Center for Interreligious and Intercultural Dialogue. It's a center for interreligious dialogue, as the name Indicates based out of Vienna, and it has three founding nations, Saudi Arabia, Austria, and Spain. And at this particular meeting, you can see him front and center there, the Pope took, took part. Uh, and these are people from all different religions and sects of religions and so forth. And these types of meetings don't get a lot of airtime and publicity here in America. We tend to focus more on the evangelical inclusivism aspect, and I showed you that earlier. Again, pluralism is all religions are equally valid. Evangelical exclusiv- or inclusivism is that, yes, we believe in a Jesus who died and rose again, but beyond that any religion goes as long as you have faith in whoever your God is, your substitutes, like there's all these surrogate Jesuses out there. Universalism doesn't need a surrogate Jesus because each one is their own true pathway. Uh, evangelical inclusivism it's all based upon Jesus, but you can have all these surrogate Jesuses uh, to get you there. So the spirit of pluralism is alive and well. We see it everywhere we look and what we need. And we're going to see fewer and fewer of these, especially in America, as so many churches are absolutely, absolutely worshiping at the altar of the government based on false understandings of passages like Romans 13. A lot of people tell me, you know, Romans 13 says we've got to obey the government. No, it doesn't. (laughs) That's a very American Western viewpoint of Scripture. Do you think people in China or North Korea or, uh, you know, Iran think that Romans 13 teaches them that they've got to obey the government? Of course not. Romans 13 teaches that governments exist uh, under the will of God to do good. And if those governments are not doing the will of God, they're not to be followed. It's the reason we see in the early days of the New Testament Men like Peter and John and Paul saying we must obey God rather than men. You know, if you want to put us in prison, put us in prison. But we're not going to bow down and worship to these governmental authorities. We're going to trust God first and obey God first. And so the religious aspect of this spirit of the Antichrist that we've been talking about for so many weeks is troubling to me. Obviously, my uh, whole ministry is, is built upon proclaiming the truth of God's Word, and I am an unapologetic biblicist, meaning that I'm not just espousing some uh, geographic Christian worldview, but I'm basing my Christianity on the words of the Bible as my only uh, standard. And it's been sad to see uh, so many friends and colleagues who at, once, at one time held firm to the Word of God you know, toss that aside and get swept up in this great gathering cloud of deception, and taking a lot of Christians with them. Uh, So as we think about and close out this series here on Spirit of the Antichrist, we've talked about a lot. I mean, it has been some pretty heavy, heavy stuff. Um, We spent a number of weeks on the spirit of pretense and deception, and talked about how just about everything we've been taught, at least in America, uh, is a lie. Uh, And and they've admitted that, and you know the textbooks in public schools and universities are all controlled by the Luciferian elite. And uh, so we talked a lot and gave a lot of examples about the spirit of pretense, everything from geoengineering and um, you know uh, just secret societies and f- fake elections and the fake left-right paradigm and the false media and Operation Mockingbird and so many other things that to make the case about pretense. And we intentionally spent the, the, the greatest number of uh, sessions on that idea of deception. And then we moved on to pride as sort of the foundational element of all sin and talked about how we see a narcissism epidemic in our culture today. And then the spirit of power, just brute force and power uh, and how um, that is obviously going to be one of the hallmarks of the Antichrist reign, And if so, of course, we see it happening today. And then one of the most interesting sort of topics that we covered in this series was the spirit of phenomena, the signs and wonders and all of the things that the Antichrist and the false prophet and all of the demons are going to to do to get people to follow them, the image of the beast and all of these miracles, so-called miracles, much the same way that, you know, Pharaoh's magicians tried to mimic uh, God's signs to the children of Israel as they left Egypt. So we're going to see an uptick in this phenomenon. So, we talked about things like UFOs. When have you heard Christian preachers talk much about that? But of course, they're a reality. The question is what are they? We interpret all of life's experiences through the lens of Scripture, and we just talked about how those were dimensional demonic manifestations, not little green men from. Mars, and you know what's interesting is a lot of the feedback I got on that from people who, like me, acknowledge uh, just as the government has, and Tucker Carlson and Fox News and everybody else now has acknowledged that for decades, going back to 1947, the government has been tracking UFOs. There are literally thousands upon tens and hundreds of thousands of documented cases in the military and uh, civilians that were tracked by the military reporting these sightings. There's no question that UFOs exist, but most people have bought the lie that these are alien creatures. And of course, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches though that there are demonic manifestations and we see these uh, increasing. And I believe, and I made this case in that session on the spirit of phenomena, that 1947 was significant because Satan who is not omniscient doesn't know God's timetable saw that after World War II the nation of Israel was rebirthed and he knows that the nation of Israel has a role to play in the future end times uh, during the tribulation and the millennium and so since Israel became a nation again he speculated Satan did that oh things must be getting close and so he unleashed his demons to even do more activity and, and try to kind of prepare the stage and set the stage for the great last day's deception Uh, Then we looked at the spirit of persecution, and certainly we have a lot of real-time anecdotes uh, to show that persecution is on the rise in uh, this present age right here in America when Christians are arrested for singing praises to God outside in the open air. you know, and again, I hate to keep harping on the control of virus Scandemic, but don't just take my word for it. I mean, that's what they want to do. They want you to divide. And, you know, um, they got. I got accosted at a store the other day. I know the owner, and the owner doesn't require me to wear a mask. I wouldn't go there if I did. But other people in the store did have a mask on. I was in taking care of some uh, business mailing something, and a lady looked over at me and, you know, got all over me for not wearing a mask. And I just looked at her and said, look... You know, you understand that wearing a mask is going to give you hypercapnia or hypoxia. It's dangerous. You're going to end up in the hospital. And she wouldn't hear it. Uh, But again, don't take my word for it. Look it up. Check it out. And email me. I'll send you the studies. uh, And you can do your own uh, research, even though the government tells you. And that ought to raise a red flag. We talked about this, uh, you know, several sessions ago, how that Forbes magazine article desperately pleaded with everybody, whatever you do, don't do your own research. Just trust us why would they do that if they didn't have something to hide? If the science was on their side, they would want you to do your own research. That should be a huge red flag. But no, they're saying don't do your own research. You're not smart enough to figure it out. Just sit back and listen to what the government tells you to do. And uh, But if you do do your own research, you'll find out that wearing masks has absolutely zero protective effect. And in fact, it's actually quite dangerous because it gives you hypercapnia and hypoxia and in the blood. Then we looked last week at the spirit of perversion and talked about sexual immorality. Uh, Good feedback from that one. uh, And uh, I hope you'll take the time to watch that one because again, it cuts right to the heart of the image of God in man. And one of the things that I didn't take the time to dive into and uh, someone pointed out to me was that we talked a lot about Sexual, uh, homosexual immorality and perversion and the gender surrender movement and all that. But there's also some perversion that's quite prevalent in the heterosexual realm. You know, we see just promiscuity and people living together outside of marriage, and yet God's Word says there's only one accepted standard, which is uh, sexual relations is meant to be between one man one woman in the confines of marriage. Sex before marriage is fornication. Sex outside of marriage is adultery. Both of them are a sin and uh, not something that pleases God, and they're a serious sin in terms of the consequences. And so go back and watch that one. And then, of course, we closed out today with the spirit of pluralism. So thanks for watching. I hope that you found this series both enlightening but also um, motivating because we serve a good God. We know who wins in the end. The Bible does give us everything we need for life and godliness. We are never to be scared but we are to be prepared. Proverbs 22 reminds us that if we see trouble coming, we should prepare for it. And I do do believe we're living in a time when we who have been sheltered in America, for the most part, are going to have to experience the kinds of things that many Christians have experienced for the last 2,000 years if the Lord tarries us coming. So be prepared, hold your head high, uh, worship God. Don't let someone tell you how and when you can worship. And, uh, and stay tuned to Not By Works Ministries. We've got a lot more coming. Next week, we'll get into uh, one of the most famous prophecies and key prophecies in the Old Testament, Daniel's 490-year prophecy. What's that all about? How does it relate to the timing of Christ's return? So we'll look at that. And then in the weeks to come, we're just going to continue to go down the doctrinal framework of the end times and take a look at some of that one-sixth of the Bible, as you've heard me say so many times, that is unfulfilled Prophecies. We got a lot of material that we can cover. Well, thanks for watching, and God bless.